Hi, I'm Liza, and I've been reading tarot professionally for well over a decade. And this is Tarot for the Modern Reader, the podcast that will teach you simple, actionable techniques to read the cards with more clarity, accuracy, and ease, so you can get real answers to real questions for real people, including yourself, in today's modern world. Whether your readings are for guidance or prediction, I'll help you 86 the doubt and confusion and take your skills and confidence to the next level so you can become the best tarot reader you know. This is Tarot for the Modern Reader. Hello and welcome to the Tarot for the Modern Reader podcast. I'm your host, Liza, and this is episode number 36, Contracts and Sorrow, Gifts of the Three of Swords. So this week's episode is a shorty because I am super busy with a project that is taking up a lot of time right now, which is the circle that I'll be opening up in the uh, coming month, sometime in October. Um, We are set to open that. So this week and next week will both be shorty episodes. And then hopefully I'll have a little more time to record some longer episodes, you know, again after that. So yes, this week the sun has moved into the second deacon of Libra, a cardinal air sign. So that's associated with the first three cards of the sword suit. So that's the two, the three, and the four. Because remember, when we're talking about deacons, we don't include the aces. Um, it's the two through ten. So there are 36 cards total. So we are now in the energy of the Three of Swords, and that is the Lord of Sorrow. Now, in this episode, I'll take some time to discuss what that energy looks like for us, but I also really want to take a moment to talk about the why behind each of these energies that we are experiencing. And this is so important. So this week, I don't know, as I was pondering about the Three of Swords, It occurred to me that, you know, so often our interpretation or our meaning of a card is based on the imagery in the card. So typically when we see the three of swords, you know, we're thinking of a heartbreak or of a terrible anguish of some sort. So we may be thinking, oh, this is like such a rotten energy. I definitely do not want this card or what it predicts, you know, to symbolize my life for the coming 10 days. And this is what got me thinking about what the basis for our deacon interpretations actually are. So as you may have gathered, you know, previously by now, the deacons and their forecasts are determined by their astrological associations. And this is so important to note because while we may look at the imagery in this card and think that it would be a terrible predictor of our week, the astrology actually tells a different story. The association for this card is Saturn in Libra. And that's the association that we need to keep in mind when we are considering what the energy, you know, that we're going to be experiencing during this card's reign or this card's tenure is going to to look like. The pictures on the card 
or the, you know, representation or the interpretation of, you know, the card by its artist. But when we're talking about deacon work, you know, really, we're pretty much just going back to those astrological associations or those astrological correlations. And that really is what's going to inform, you know, the nature of the 10 days that the uh, card rules. So in this uh, particular instance, we are talking about Saturn in Libra. So Saturn is cold, dark, heavy, wet or damp, dreary, right? Hence the rain in the Rider-Waite-Smith card behind the heart. And Libra is the sign of love and beauty ruled by Venus, hence the heart on the card. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you'll have a week of heartache or heartbreak, but it means that we will have a week that would be, you know, in some way characterized by any manner of Saturn and or Libra themed events of some sort. And the Libra ones we will recognize as such because we're in Libra season. So that will feel rather natural for this time of year. That's why this card, you know, is the card of this time. This card and the one before it and the one after it. So the two, three, four, those are our are all of our cards of Libra. So those cards, you know, with their Libra association feels very natural during this time. But it's the Saturn underpinnings of this card, the three in particular, you know, that really brings the womp womp energy. (laughs) It's the part that really brings the rain to the rainy day. The events that come with more commitments, hard work, you know, and other such Saturn traits might seem like they're out of context now, you know, at this time of year, but really they're not. So I want to share with you two alternative interpretations to this card as a deacon ruler for the next week or so. Now, the first is a short excerpt that I'd like to share by T. Susan Chang. And if you like working with the deacons, then you probably would like her work as well. So here is one of her meanings for this deacon um, and this card. And really, this one just really resonated with me, which is why I want to share it with you now. So it's called Binding Contracts. When Saturn... Lord of Commitments and Unbreakable Bonds combines with the legal finalities of Libra, because think, you know, Libra with the justice card, so the law, the result is a promise. So when Saturn, Lord of Commitments and Unbreakable Bonds combines with the legal finalities of Libra, the result is a promise. So you can think of the three swords as this. The two parties to the agreement plus the agreement itself. The promise itself, in other world, in other words, excuse me, is the third thing. The deal, the contract, the marriage, the life. As Austin Kopic puts it in his book, 36 Faces, which is a book about the deacons. This face, meaning this card, is nearly ideal for the binding of two things together, whether they be people in marriage, 
business entities, or merely a promise to oneself. It contains the formulae not only for knitting together, but continuing in happy union and is therefore an arcanum of wonderful power. So that's really interesting, isn't it? Like just to think about that. So there's the idea that this card is actually a great indicator of success and going the distance in any sort of relationship or agreement of some sort. That the promise or the agreement has long-term staying power. Isn't this just an amazing and a remarkable interpretation and honestly, just an absolutely lovely way to experience this card, especially compared to thinking, you know, that this week could be one of heartbreak. Instead, it can actually be a positive omen for any relationships that are begun now or any contract, any kind of undertaking where you enter into some sort of an, uh, commitment or an agreement of some sort with another party or really with yourself as well, as she says. Okay, now the other interpretation I'd like to share with you is from Alistair Crowley. And in his take on this card, and remember that he is, you know, a, a magician and, you know, does a lot of work with um, Kabbalah and, you know, some of our just more advanced um, systems of magic. So keep that in mind as well um, as you listen to this. So his take on the card, he states that here one is reminded of the darkness of Bina or Bina, um, and that is one of uh, the Sephiroth on the uh, Tree of Life. So Bina is uh, Sephiroth number three, and it denotes the the mother or the feminine principle, the dark mother, you know, it's the darkness. And this um, Sephiroth is actually ruled by Saturn. So that's where this, you know, correlation comes from. So um, let me start that again. Here one is reminded of the darkness of Binah, the mourning of Isis, and mourning as in um, not morning versus nighttime, mourning as in a state of melancholy, you know, where she is um, grieving her beloved Osiris, you know, after, um, after his murder. So here one is reminded of the darkness of Benah, the mourning of Isis, but this is not any vulgar sorrow dependent upon any individual disappointment or discontent. It is Weltschmerz, the universal sorrow. It is the quality of melancholy. And this Weltschmerz is defined as mental depression or apathy caused by comparison of the actual state of the world with an ideal state. Okay, so that is pretty heavy. And so here's here is how this sounds to me so for me in Crowley's expression of this being a general melancholy with the state of the world as opposed to one's perceived view of the world I actually see this as a dark night of the soul so the three of swords card depicts heartache but this is really a mental card. The imagery, you know, depicts heartache, but swords are of the mental suit. They're of the mental nature. And um, a dark night of the soul for, for those who, let's just say from a therapeutic standpoint, um, you know, from a therapist standpoint or from a medical standpoint, some of these, you know, spiritual conditions are not really recognized and, you know, can be diagnosed as psychosis or depression. 
And in that, we can see how the Three of Swords could be related to depression. Because in all reality, although this card depicts heartache, again, you know, that's the visual depiction of the card, the imagery of the card, what was, you know, drawn for the card. But swords are a mental mental suit. So, you know, even something along the lines of depression would be a good fit here in, in terms of, you know, Crawley's idea of this card as being a melancholy with the state of the world as opposed to the perceived state of the world. So as a, a dark night of the soul, you know, this could be a pretty good fit here. Threes are the first real challenge that we come to in the minor arcana. As we move, you know, through the minor arcana, the three is like the first integration, I'd say, a turning point. And I think this is where we get our first initiation on the journey to enlightenment or awakening through the suit of swords, which is our mental or our thinking suit. You know, and that's where our dark night of the soul comes in because on a journey, you know, to enlightenment or an awakening journey, you know, a dark night of the soul is often one of the early stages in that journey. So we begin to see the world quite differently. In a dark night of the soul, a lot of times, you know, we go through what seems like a depression. And a lot of times it can be triggered by external circumstances, you know, things in our own lives that are personal to us, whether it be a breakup or something very traumatic, a, a death of someone close to us. You know, there are things that trigger this and it's on a personal level and it's, you know, relevant to us. We're sad about something that is specific to our own lives. But oftentimes that's what leads to a deeper yearning to understand the world and the universe and our place in it and, you know, start reaching out, you know, to these mysteries and these studies and understanding some of these concepts at a, you know, more advanced level. And as we go on this journey, which becomes an awakening journey, this dark night of the soul, which can begin as a state of depression over something that has happened, you know, to ourselves in our own lives, can also turn into this um, state of depression over what we see in the world. And so I think this is where, you know, Crawley's expression or Crawley's interpretation of this comes from about this general melancholy with the state of the world, how we, you know, with what the actual state of the world is, as opposed to our perceived view of the state of the world. So our definition of what's real starts to take on new meaning for the first time in however many years old you are, the first time this really happens for you, you know, that you kind of move into this dark night of the soul or, you know, this process. So there can be a true melancholy, a true deep sadness and a longing to return to a time where we didn't know these things before, you know, such as the saying ignorance is bliss, ignorance, you know, being defined as a lack of knowledge, not knowing something. And, you know, us not really realizing how blissful that can be. So this card can bring with it the weight of things that we can't unknow once we know them. Yet, you know, we wish that we could. 
So that is the Saturn overtones of this card, as this card is ruled by Saturn, right? So this is also Saturn, the planet who governs the world card, and that's why the Justice card and the World card are our two major arcana cards that are associated with this time period as well in the tarot. So while everyone is aware that we're in the season of the Justice card right now, you know, due to it being Libra season, this card being ruled by Saturn in Libra, you know, gives us those secondary meanings of the world card and those Saturnine traits here as well. So for this period, we have the energy of not just the Libra card of Justice, but also the world card. And this is a great way to view the energy of the deacon or any deacon that we are under, you know, for that matter, rather than just looking at the meaning for that individual minor arcana card or our interpretation of the card, you know, based on its imagery or the meaning that we have assigned the card. We can look at the energy of the two major arcana cards it's associated with, you know, via the planet and the sign associated with that card for a better understanding of what that forecast for that 10-day period is going to be. Okay, so I hope that this has given you a bit of an insight into not only this card, as far as our forecast for the period of 10 days that this card is our ruler, which will extend to about the 12th or the 13th of this month, but also how the energy of each of the deacons actually shows up in our lives and why it can be different than what we think we know about a particular card's meaning. So I will be back next week with another short episode and then we'll be moving into a conversation about shadow work and other topics for all things Scorpio and spooky season. So I will see you next week.